Building Years Podcast with Justin Alexio and Jeremiah Watkins. New episodes every Wednesday. Welcome to the show. I I got a haircut, I guess, about a week ago. Um, I go to Sport Clips. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) That judge been terrible. (laughs) Let's just say I've had that. (laughs) I've had some bad experiences with uh, haircut places with uh, the word clips in the name (laughs) or fantastic in the name. Oh, Jeremiah, save it for the podcast, baby. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't. I can't do an $11 haircut anymore because I'm like, you know what? It's not worth the weeks and months you waste waiting. But we have longer hair. I feel like it's harder to cut. Than well, yours. like, okay, so growing up, I had such sensitive ears, which really pissed me off because um, people who cut my hair, they would actually cut my ears sometimes. And it was such oh. a traumatic experience that I was afraid to go to anybody else other than this one person. Like, I spent years with them. They cut my hair exactly the same, which was pretty much how it is now. I haven't changed it since sixth grade. But I did not trust anybody else with my hair, even though it's a pretty simple cut. <laughs> PTSD there. No, I'm, I'm being serious. I, I cried because um, someone cut my ears and it was haunted my dreams forever. And then I went to Walmart one day just because I needed a haircut. <laughs> and this Chinese lady, she did. She clipped my ears. She's like, your, your ears are so sensitive. And I'm like, I'm bleeding out. I had to go to the bathroom and like, Put a gauge on it or whatever and like make sure it, it stopped bleeding. It was horrible. All right, perfect. <laughs> We've never done this before, but welcome to the building years. Oh. That was a cold open. Oh my god, wow. <laughs> it's happening. I Jeremiah surprised me. Yeah, we've been recording this whole time. Uh, uh all right. Well, hey, we're spicing it up. Let's do yeah. it. Let's do our guest intro right now. The other ver- the voice that you heard on the podcast. Uh well, it is this guy, he's a... Uh, Actor, super cool guy, good for Cutter Ray Palacios. 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 I've, I've, I've heard it. I've heard it worse. Okay. Well, Jeremiah cold opened the show, so I didn't. I've never heard your last name spoken to me, so I was gonna get that before we started recording. But uh, that's always, the cold open, baby. That's always a good sign of uh, whenever we get guests on the podcast that Justin's never heard their name out loud <laughs> yeah. before. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's not a comedian, it's like, hey, so man, he's, a, he's a cool guy. Like I've hung out with him a bunch, but like he's never. Foley told me his last name out loud. I've just seen it on paper, on IMDb, on TV, stuff like that. So don't well, even worry about it. Well, hey. you know, it's it's weird with my last name because people are so intimidated by it that they don't want to ever say it and they don't want to ever ask. You know, like people are like, I don't know how to say your name or how to pronounce it, but I don't want to feel stupid asking you, mm, you right. know. Um, but you would think that people would at least spell it right. Growing up, I won a lot of awards. I'll brag a little bit. I won a lot yeah, of awards. Yeah, tell us your awards, brag boy. But, yeah, so, we already know about your haircuts, so <laughs> let's get into the awards now. No, I well, I did. I did a few awards. I was in. I was in debate growing up, and um, I did some theater here and there. But what really aggravated me is if it, we were at a huge committee, like state committee, and I won an award. I'll never forget. It was I, I won the Angie Baggett Award, which is the highest award in debate you can get at that time in middle school, and they pronounced my name Pelosios. And I didn't quite understand that because it was pretty close. Other than I realized that instead of using A's, they used O's. And I've heard like Palacios, Pelosius, things like that. But oh. to actually have your award spelled wrong 
was really <laughs> annoying. Um, or they like people will put U's. Like I-O-S is how you spell the last part of my name. They'll put like So does it offend you when people mess it up? No, I just got so used to it now. Like I did I did work for somebody for six years and every time they would like board me or we'd go somewhere, they always spelt my name wrong. Even though I was with them for six years and I corrected them every time, they always put a U in my name. <laughs> so you kinda go like, eh, it's all right. Yeah, forgiveness is a key. It is. It is. So key. is Cutter Ray, is that a stage name or is that your, your born name? I got to ask. That, that is my born name. Okay. Um, your birth given name. My birth given name. That's Absolutely right. no judgment in Jeremiah's time. No, I have to no. ask. Well, I mean like I'm from because the South, so because it's like Cutter, Cutter Ray. Cutter Ray is very easy to spell. So that's why I had to ask like, well, it's Cutter Ray, maybe a stage name or something because it's so... Just clean cut and straightforward. Like there, you can't mess up Cutter Ray very easily. That makes sense. You would think. Really? <laughs> <laughs> People mess that up too. No. Oh, okay. So first, first Cutter Ray is the first part of my name that is white. Okay. Like it's it's south and white. So you know your intellect's lower. People need to spell it a lot quicker, and it needs to rhyme in some way. You know, um, and, and some like it just needs to roll off the tongue. The Palacios is from my dad's side, who who happens to be Hispanic, where you have the long Spanish names. Um, but people, when they hear the word cutter, they automatically assume it's not my real name. It's it's just one sure. of those things. Like, do you do you cut yourself or like? I mean, like, why why do you decide? And if you if if, if you're listening, just, just, just a lot of bad jokes. That, that yeah, throw no, your way. yeah. The, the problem yeah. is it's not a joke. Like they're being very serious. You mm. know. Um, and if the listeners could actually see me, I'm, I'm a very clean-cut guy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> bad joke. Yeah, um, there's the first bad joke of the podcast, guys. Get ready for more. At least it wasn't by Justin this time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, people... And I, I kind of have to explain it that my, my first name, Cutter, actually comes from the rodeo. Uh, I basically got my, my name from slapping a horse's butt. They have these events called um, Cutting. It's okay. where you cut the horse back and forth to trap the cattle back into the pen. And they call the horses cutters. Ray's actually after my my father's uh, my grandfather's name. Mm-hmm. So I'm named after him. And it was supposed to be Cutter Ray, one name, and then Hagen. Cutter Ray Hagen Palacios. And my mom wouldn't have that. So she got rid of the Hagen and separated the two. And then you were born. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then, and then I was born. That's right. That's right. We're, we're going very slow, like step by step in Cutter's life. <laughs> we're just getting over the birth right now. And now we're going to get into grade school. And yeah. Well, you know, it was an icy, it was an icy morning when I was born. I'm just, I'm, I'm just kidding. It was so, uh, Cutter, how old are you? Yeah. You're, yeah. Because we want to talk about this, because I think you're actually one of our younger guests that we've had on the show. Yeah, I I am turning twenty next week, actually. Mm-hmm. So, so you're nineteen. I'm. Yes, I'm nineteen. Gee, he's Perfect. still he's still so young. He rounds up in age. <laughs> it's all good. You'll stop doing that, man. <laughs> uh, okay, very cool. So you're coming for Justin told me, uh, uh, and you are telling me right now that. You grew up in Texas, mm-hmm. and you did some acting stuff there, and then recently you moved to Los Angeles, right? Yeah, I moved in August. Okay, so take us through a step-by-step of what it was like to get into yeah. the industry in Texas, because that's a very different place. Uh, I mean, it's a common place where they shoot a lot of stuff, but not a lot of the guests that we've had on here uh, start in other places. Like, if they do start in other places, maybe it's like New York or occasionally Chicago or something yeah. like that, but... I think uh, we've only had one other guest who started doing some stuff in Texas. So 
take us through that, what that was like. Well, you know, I wish filming in Texas was common enough to where I didn't have to move out to Hollywood. Like, mm-hmm. well, let's be real about that. There, the Texas legislation continues to divide the funding between um, gaming and entertainment, like film and music. And it's not the same at all. Mm-hmm. And they keep cutting and cutting and cutting more and more. So the, the industry really is pulling away from Texas. How I got started in it, though, is I went to the University of North Texas through a program ta- called Texas Academy of Math and Science. Um, I did Eastfield when I was 13, and I went to TAMS when I was 15. Basically, it's about a population of um, 90% of the population is basically Indians who all want to be doctors and whatnot. And so I, I was very much a minority. Even whites were the minority. It was really weird. And they throw all 400 of us in this one big building, and we go and attend college courses um, with other college students. I quickly realized that I did not want to be in politics, and I did not want to be a doctor. I had just had a near-death experience. I didn't want to spend my life in a lab. Whoa, yeah. Tell us this near-death experience. We're not going to just skip over that. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, what exactly happened with your near-death experience that kind of scared you out of labs? Um, So I was in Colorado. They had just had forest fires, and I was part of a mission trip. We were going to be there kind of... Um, raising awareness about it, raising money, mm-hmm. giving like kids, a, you know, like a daycare to go to while, you know, families go and find other jobs or find other locations while they handled what they were doing. Um, no, and I'll, I'll go into this. No one knows quite what happened to me, but on our last night there, we went out to a park. Now, if, if y'all don't know Colorado parks, they're, they're huge and they're yeah. amazing. I absolutely love them. They have all these crazy little things. One of the things that they had though was like a swivel chair that, that spun around. So like if you move your arms and your legs, you just constantly spin, spin, spin. You can't get out. Well, everybody thought it was funny that I couldn't get out. You know, nobody would help me out. And so every time like I tried sitting up, I would tuck my legs under and I would go faster. So eventually I actually spun out of the chair and got sick. I threw up. And then I, in, in case everybody needed to be that explained, getting yeah. sick. Um, so then I threw up again. About 15 minutes later, after I sat down because I needed to rest and whatnot, someone told a joke because we were meeting for our last meeting um, for the last day. And someone told a joke, and I started laughing, and I didn't stop laughing. Like, Mm. I just kept laughing. Okay. And then I started crying. Mm -hmm. And then I started laughing again and crying again. So what is this, like a mental breakdown you're describing? That's what what people were thinking. But the problem is that my, my actual mood was more scared or confused because I was like, why am I laughing and crying? My body itself was reacting to something that it was laughing and crying. And it kept changing back and forth really, really quickly. Um, And it was very extreme. Like, it was the most funniest thing you ever heard, and it was the saddest thing you ever saw. And then eventually I stopped, and I got really quiet, and then I ended up losing my ability to sit upright, and I just fell over. Wow. So what did you went to? Did you go to the doctors? What did they say? Well... Long story short, as far as the near-death thing goes, I ended up losing my ability to, uh, to one, like, move. Like, I lost my mobility. I, I started spasming, and then for, I lost... For how long? I guess the episode lasted for about 15 hours. Um, oh, wow. So, I lost my, my basically, my, my functions, and I lost... Um, now, are you in a mental state where you can remember, at this point, what you were feeling at that time, or were you so out of it that you don't really remember what was going on? 100%, I can remember everything. 
Um, usually when I tell this story, it's like in a very dark setting and, and we kind of like connect one-on-one and it's very personal. Okay, well, you can do that here. That's, that's, <laughs> we'll dim that's the okay. lights, baby. <laughs> yeah. What, now what uh, exactly? I just turned off a light for, uh, for the podcast listeners who don't have that visual. But what what is your brain going through what, when you can't use your functions that you're used to using every single day? Like, what are you going through internally whenever that's going on? Well, you know, um, once I fell over, we knew immediately that I had to get to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So it was a matter of actually getting me, because the parks, like I said, were huge. So you have a long distance from the actual where you are in the park to the vehicle. And you can't walk or do anything. Well, I tried crawling. And we couldn't do it. And then they tried picking me up, but my body was spasming so much that I was flailing, basically. Yeah. And they couldn't they couldn't control actually picking me up. And so at that point in time, though, my, my body began to get very cold. And as your question, what was I thinking? When you want your left hand to move right and you can't, and instead it, it goes around, you, you feel as if you're an alien in your own body. And you become very confused, and you don't know what to do or, or how to or how to respond to it. When you're so used to being able to control your own body and getting up and standing and moving your fingers, and all of a sudden you don't, that's taken away from you, you panic. And then the next thing that happens, as, as my body became to get very, very cold, and I felt very cold, as if like you could pick me up and drop me, and I'd break into a million pieces. It was as if there was knives at the end of my skin. Um, I knew it was important for me to talk about what I was feeling. And then when I started to just say I was rounding up to 16. (laughs) So when I, when I was like, I'm about to turn and and I I ended up losing my ability to actually speak when I tried saying 16. And then I tried, I, I, I thought like, okay, well, let's see if I can say anything else. And it turned out I couldn't. Every time I tried saying something else, my, my tongue wouldn't be able to form the words. And so all of a sudden, I lost my ability to speak. And then shortly after that, I lost my ability to hear. Oh, my God. And then and then finally, once everything was so... And what I mean, like, when I lost my ability to hear, it wasn't as if it was a blank space. It was as if everything was muddled and everything, like, almost like a static noise. And you couldn't discern anything. Like you're underwater. You hear, get out of the water. Not quite. It's like a lot louder, and it's everywhere. It surrounds you. It, okay. It, it, was, it, was, it was strange. And then, I, and then eventually my, my, my vision became blurry, and then it went out. Oh, so you, so you were blind. How was that? Crazy. <laughs> I would have been the first thing I would have thought is, well, I can no longer be shallow. I would have tried to be positive. I'm sure you did that. Well, you know, well, the, the, like the, it all happened so fast. So I think more my reaction was, "What is happening?" You know, like <laughs> yeah, you know, you're you're dealing with that, and, and the the hardest part of it was when my memory went out. So you're existing as a person, you can't rem- have the memories back from the past 15 years of life? Is that what happened? Yes. And, and it's... But you're still conscious enough to know that that's going on, that, like, that you're thinking, why can't I remember? Why can't I hear? Why can't I see? You, you still have that going on internally, correct? 
let's say you're looking for something and you go into the kitchen to find it. Mm-hmm. And then you end up grabbing something else and you can't quite remember what you went in the kitchen for originally. It was like that, except I didn't have anything else to grab. It was, it was as if this sort of vacancy mm-hmm. went over my whole entire life in opinion of everything. And all I had was not being able to see, even though my eyes were open, not being able to hear, not being able to speak, even though I had a tongue, and not being able to control how my body moved, even though I had arms and legs. Everything was stripped from me. And when that happened, I, I began to not be able to breathe. Whether it was anxiety or, or, I, was, I, was, or and I was having a panic attack or whatever it was, I, I began not to be able to breathe. And if you have no, you have no background, if you, or you can't remember how your life was or your history, you have no foundation. And you're just kind of coming to this enormous amount of struggle, and you kind of have to figure out, go, why am I here? Why am I, why am I struggling through this? Why am I fighting this? And then you give up fighting. For those who need an explanation on that, that was, I chose to stop trying to live. Mm-hmm. You know, fight, fighting... <sighs> Thankfully, someone had just learned CPR about two weeks before the, the, the trip. And so when he detected, when, when he basically saw that I was having trouble breathing and I had stopped breathing, he performed CPR and he kept me alive. When I came to, I got some of my senses back, not completely, definitely not my memory. I couldn't remember anything. I, I remember going like, my best friends, I think he dealt drugs or, you know, like, just crazy stuff I was spewing out to the nurses. Just like, I think my own, phone number's this and what. Creating your own fantastic life. It was amazing. <laughs> let me tell you, I hit on every nurse in the hospital. <laughs> and I don't remember any of it other, other than like getting weird looks. Um, <laughs> but the, the episode itself lasted for about 15 hours. And at the end of the day, they thought that um, I was bipolar. I had my first bipolar incident. Now, hmm. and the, the, the main thing they looked at was the laughing and crying. And it's something that people don't quite understand, that our, our bodies, that la- when they laugh and cry, even though it may be attached to an emotion, it is a, it is, it is a function. You know, anything can make us laugh, really. Um, but it's not necessarily attached to that emotion. And so people, the, the doctors only looked at that and said, you're, you're bipolar, and because you're a flailing and that you had this psychotic breakdown, you're a harm to yourself and others. So we're going to put you into a mental institution. So, they, so did you have to go to a mental institution? I had to go to a mental hospital um, for further diagnosis. And so I was handcuffed. and uh, after, So after you've had this traumatic experience, so like you're, you have a mental illness and they handcuff you? Mm-hmm. Well, because I was, I was a, in, in their eyes, it was a harm to myself and others. And it's, I think for those who don't quite understand the experience that I've gone, which is why, there's, why I was saying that this is such a serious topic that, that people won't quite understand it, other than others who have been through it. I have talked to others who have had a similar experience about, you know, when you stop breathing and, and when you see this sort of, I don't want to call it a light, but this sort of energy, which I didn't quite get into because it's, it's way out there. Um, we can get into that if, if you want. Only if you want to talk about it, because that's, I mean, that's all this is fascinating as we're talking about it. Well, I I guess I'll go ahead and backtrack. 
when I made the decision to stop trying to live, to, to stop fighting for survival, and I accepted it, everything was still. Everything was calm and peaceful. But it was, there was so much energy around me and that everything was dull, but everything was exciting. Everything was bright, but everything was dark. Everyth everything was literally the same. It, it was as if the, the glass was half full and half empty at the same time, which I know I get it is at the same time, but there was no discern discerning of where your perspective was. It, it was as far as you could see. There was no definitions to anything, including me. Like, I was part of that energy. That if I wanted to, to reach out millions of miles away, I could. But there was nothing a million miles away that wasn't already where I was. Everything was literally the same and and to have that experience is incredibly overwhelming and it's something I struggled with for quite some time afterwards because the overwhelming I'm talking about is one one you feel like you're at the mercy of it for one thing right mm -hmm. but two you're overcome with it in a way that you will probably never experience something like that again while you're alive to feel that whole, to feel that a part of something, to feel like you are in sync with everything around you at one time. You will never have that experience again. Now, I, I had struggled with, with depression prior to this event. So to, to, to go from very, very serious depression, well, I don't say very serious, but to, to have that sort of feeling and then go to that, you, it, it feels like something was ripped from you. And so I struggled for about a year or two after the event, wishing I could go back, wishing that someone didn't know CPR so I could live in that moment, even if... I, I, so if you wanted to live in that moment, was it... It sounds like it was a little bit exciting as well as scary. Like, 100, a, like a really cool like Six Flags ride. It, well, you know, and, th and that's the problem. It's not quite a Six Flags ride, but you're absolutely right. It was the most... It was extremely exciting. It was extremely scary. It was everything all at once. It was sad. It was happy. It was, um, it, it was everything. There were no definitions to anything. There were no exact feelings other than overwhelming. But at the same time, the first thing I said was peace. People who haven't experienced this don't quite understand it. And then they kind of look at me weird like, I, like I'm crazy. Which is probably the reason why I got sent to a mental hospital. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, are, you, are you a spiritual person, Cutter? I am. Did you, during this experience, whenever you are feeling like a part of everything, did you feel anything spiritual whenever you were in that moment? Did you, like, did you feel like... Like some people... I've heard whenever they have a near-death experience, they, they mention the light that you, or like you mentioned like an energy mm -hmm. or something. Did you feel like that was uh, like a higher power or something in your case? Or is it 
kind of indescribable. Like you can't really describe what you were feeling, what the presence of the energy was, if that makes sense. So not to knock anybody who says they've died and seen Jesus or not, not to knock anybody who says who's died and seen light. You know, being spiritual, we're always taught that when we see God or when we see Jesus, we'll, we'll fall to our knees at the mercy of him and we'll be so overwhelmed with a sort of emotion, right? And I've, like I said, I used overwhelm quite a bit when, when I was trying to describe this. So it's easy to see the connection between Jesus, God, whatever higher being that they're thinking of to this overwhelming experience. Now, will I say that that is what it was? No. Well, I say it, it's indiscernible. Like, I I can't tell. Yeah. I mean, if that really was a higher being, wow. (laughs) 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 You know, if if, if I could come here and say, I've seen the other side. I have all your your answers to your questions. I, I, one, I don't want that responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And two, I, I, I just don't want to... I don't know. I I I I don't think it it really was Jesus or God or anything like that. And I don't think I, I necessarily died. Um, I don't know what it was. Well, that sounds like the experience of a lifetime. So then, so you have this experience. It's obviously very you know emotional. So then you said so they send you to the mental institution and they tested you. What happened there? I had amazing food. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, top of, top of the class. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. It definitely beat mama's cooking. Uh, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your mom don't listen to this. <laughs> um, well, your your mom will just argue, well, he was crazy when he was <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't. <laughs> Funny enough, my mom never actually heard this story until about two or three years after it happened. Mm-hmm. Um. Like just recently, right before I moved to LA, when I was telling her like why I was doing what I was doing, she, this is the first time she ever heard it. Even though I'm very pretty much open with my story to those who are willing to be open minded listening. Yeah. Um, but at the at the you know mental hospital while I was there, um, you know they they strip you of your clothes. So even though I didn't quite have a memory, I at least had an ID. Yeah. But I didn't have any more. I at least had clothes that I knew that I had liked, that I wanted to wear, even though I didn't understand the significance so, of it. So is it like the movies where they, they take your clothes, they put you in like that all-white gown? Yeah. Wow. Except that I got to keep my underwear because I was underage. Oh, that's the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you are. You, you're stripped of your clothes. You're stripped of your privacy. You're stripped of everything. And for, for having to go through that experience just hours before. Yeah. And then now and then going into there, and you're already scared, and you don't quite understand um, what's going on. Now, I was very compliant. I, I, didn't, I didn't wrestle with anybody. I didn't fight anybody. I was just like, I don't know what's happening to me. Clearly, y'all do. I'll fall. Which, in a way, probably shouldn't have happened, but I did anyway. Like, I, I wish somebody would have stepped in and go, like, I know this person. I know this isn't him. I wish my mom wouldn't have just signed the the paperwork saying, yes, he's bipolar, like send him, send him to this institution. It was a great experience. Um, so how long did they keep you there? Five days. I was supposed to stay for a couple weeks, but once they figured out, oh, there's nothing wrong with you, I, and I had to catch a plane back to Texas, that's when they released me. Um, 
So they don't. So there's no medical diagnosis for what happened. You just think it was a. No. Yeah. That's what. Uh, when I started the conversation, no one knows. Nobody knows what happened. My my brother's an EMT, and he thinks he he has an idea. Um, but what do you think that happened? He thinks I had a shock attack. That from spinning in the chair, high altitude, change in diet, uh, heat ex- you know heat exposure, sun exposure, things like that, being extremely stressed. Because I had talked about earlier that week of like. I don't really like these people and I don't ever have any free time because I need personal time. I was like, I don't ever have time to rest or whatever. He was like, you're, 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 you were so high on the stress level that when you got into the spinning chair, it's like putting marbles in a bowl. You spin the bowl around and the marbles rush to the outside. Think the marbles as your blood in your brain, the bowl is being your brain. So when you spun and the blood rushed to the outside parts of your brain, it, it threw your body into shock. And that's why you had the high blood pressure. And then you have to go all the way, you know, to, for your body to kind of reach homeostasis, you have to go to the low blood pressure. And that's why you kept going up and down, up and down. Now, when the blood rushes to the outside parts of the brain affecting your, your motor skills, which was the word I kept freaking trying to find earlier in this conversation, and your, your emotional state, all those things, and it loses its blood, it's like losing its fuel. Yeah. And then it goes out of whack. That's what he thinks happened to me. Something very simple, very easy, but it can happen to anybody. So you said that you told your mom this story right before you moved to L.A. because uh, uh, right before and you told her why you needed to go out to L.A. Mm -hmm. So what was what was your reason that you told your mom, like, I got to go out to L.A.? So I had everybody thought I was going to be the president of the United States. In fact, some people are still on that bandwagon. I was so involved in politics. Um, I hated how politics ran and that's why I didn't want to do it. And then I also hated the idea of business because I didn't want to be in, tr- in charge of somebody's like about a thousand people or I didn't want to be CEO of a company and controlling who gets fired and who gets hired. Um, and after the experience that I had, I didn't want to be in a life, and I didn't want to be in a lab because I felt there was more to life than being in a lab. Now, don't get me wrong; I I do follow math and science, and I do follow politics quite heavily. I think Justin can uh, confirm that. Off, off he's all like my the whole, out of all, all the nineteen year olds I'm friends with on Facebook. He's always posting. I'm like, God, this guy's really on top of it. All I cared about when I was nineteen was girls and uh, yeah, trying to smoke as much weed as possible. <laughs> and so and a lot has changed. And so I didn't quite come from a, I didn't come from a privileged family at all. I had free lunch because we made such little money. My, my mom was diagnosed with a disease that deteriorates some, um, the muscle and nerve system. So I, I grew up kind of taking care of her. We, we had a, a horrible house to live in. Now, it, it was standing walls, but in the time that she was diagnosed, we were under con, uh, reconstru- or remodeling, and we never quite finished. So we had a ton of floods, holes in all these different walls, and electrical, plumbing, whole nine yards of issues, right? So when I got the full ride uh, to go to University of North Texas, which would probably set me up to go to any school I wanted to on a floor, especially with, with the amount of income we didn't have, <laughs> and with also me being a minority. I'm, I'm, a, I'm Hispanic. So I think anybody would have pretty much been like, oh, you were to this college? Great. Here's a full ride. Go for it. Um, and with the amount of civic duty I'd done, it, it would probably been a shoe in So for me to go, you know what? I don't want any of this. I want to be an actor. Now, my mom always told me, um, you can be anything that you want, even if that means digging holes. 
apparently being an actor is worse than digging holes. <laughs> uh, she, she wasn't in favor of it at all. And so I had to explain to her that when you chased, when you treated your life as if it was a resume, you had all these accomplishments. I had a lot of accomplishments from a young age. When you, when you treat it as a resume and you, you look at your life, and you're like, wow, I can, can't even fit it all on one page. I have to move down to nine font because I have so many awards, so many achievements. And I know exactly why I got that one. And it, and it kind of just kept spiraling, spiraling. And you look at it and you go, I have no relationships. That at some point along the way, I began to just be awarded for things just because it was, just because it was, it was custom. But it didn't mean anything to you. It didn't mean anything. Right. I was doing good work, but my heart wasn't in it. And I love serving others. It's, it's a huge thing in me. But I was. I eventually got to a point where like I have to do this to stay number one, to stay on top of the of the, of the chain, to to make sure I have every single opportunity I ever want in life. But. I didn't necessarily burn any bridges, but I didn't build any. I couldn't call anybody up, especially after this event. I, I did try calling up an ex-girlfriend of mine, and I did try calling up a best friend, and both were too busy. Now, mind you, I was with this girlfriend for several years. And granted, she had just gotten engaged, but that's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Still, she was too busy. Right. Yeah, girls get kind of weird about that. I don't, I don't know. Once they get like engaged, they're like, I don't want to talk to my ex. Yeah, it's... <laughs> What the, but what about the best friend though? He 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 didn't he wouldn't take the time to talk to you about this. Well, we came from a, a very very similar background. He's also very well accomplished, and he still is very well accomplished. He hasn't he he's just now hitting that that block in life where he was like, oh my goodness, all I am is a resume. Um, and so when you place values on things like absolute value you're not going to quite understand the experience I went through. You're not going to be able to reach on that level. So when I did talk to him, he goes like, oh, yeah, I know that you were depressed and that you kind of went off the deep end and you're now rebelling against life. Everybody goes through that. It's no big deal. You're just a teenager. But you really need to get back on the wagon and start becoming that CEO or that president that I know you're going to be one day because this is just a phase. And that's how everybody treated it that this was just a phase, that this really was nothing. And it took several years of, oh, I ended up getting fired from my job at American Eagle shortly after that because I started choosing family over anything else. You're just not going in? Like, fuck these clothes. No, it was, no, I, no. I actually took extra shifts because I needed the money. But what had happened was it was Christmas Eve and I wasn't supposed to work that day because I'd worked so many times. I was pushing, I was only hired there part-time, but I was pushing 40 hours almost. So I wasn't supposed to go in, but someone ended up not going in because, of course, it was Christmas Eve, so they called me in. I was only supposed to be there till 7. Um, I had finished my side of the store, closed that, closed some, helped close somebody else's. I'd done everything I was supposed to. I did really good on credit cards that day. And it, when it rolled around to 7, I said, i got to go see my family. And they said, no, you have to stay and finish closing the rest of the store. Um, and I said, I'm going to go home. So said, well, you're fired. And I said, okay, Merry Christmas. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, that's what a corporation You're don't like. Care. You called me in. <laughs> I'm covering somebody else's. I have the right. You said seven. I'm out. And then they're like, man, uh, great company, guys. <laughs> Shout out to American Eagle. 
agree. <laughs> um, so I ended up working at a bar as a busboy, cleaning up puke off the floor for the most part. And then I ended up working at a bicycle shop. I ended up meeting them while they were all getting drunk at Bandito's. They had a bicycle shop right down the street. And so I ended up working there during the day and going to the bar at night. It was, I worked two full-time jobs. And so doing that for about a year and a lot of self-discovery. Anytime I looked at something and I was unsure about how I felt at it, I stopped everything I was doing and started asking myself questions of why am I unsure or why do I like it or why do I not like it? What, what about this and how does that fall on my core values? And then it went to appreciating things. I started noticing that I go, man, I have nothing to wear, but yet I had a full closet worth of clothes, right? Which is why I don't shop anymore going into this point. I go, if at some point I loved this shirt, I, and at some point I loved this shirt, there was a reason why I loved it. And why am I saying that this shirt is no good if I have lived so much life in it? If it has my sweat stains in it, if it has some blood stains because I picked my nails. If it has all these things or these memories in it, why is it that I don't appreciate it? And so I started going into every room that I was familiar with and going, I'm going to find something in here that I haven't noticed before or that I know about, but I want to find something new to appreciate it. And I started putting that in my own life of waking up every morning like, wow, I really appreciate my hand, which if you know my experience, you would understand why. But, if, you know, I was like, wow, I can actually move my hand. And it, it reminds me of the time I couldn't move it. Or, wow, I really appreciate the fact I can talk or I can see or I can do all these things. And then you start going around like, where are some things where I argue with people or that I don't quite like people? Where can I find things that I appreciate about them? Maybe it's the fact that when they do challenge my thought or my opinion, that it's basically setting me up to like, wow, this is something I really do believe in. This is where my boundaries are. And I'm thanking you because you're, you're reaffirming those things. At the same time, you're also offering me another perspective that I might not have thought about. So you still have to remain open-minded. But you can appreciate that. And so you do. You spend your whole life appreciating things. So how did this work into me becoming an actor? Um, someone ended up doing some extra work on Dallas or whatnot. I was like, oh, you should go and do it. And so I signed up for it. And sure enough, I ended up getting kind of bumped up. Um, I see you're one of those that was an extra on a show and then got a speaking line. Yeah, I actually got to improv with uh, Jesse Metcalf. Patrick, um, Patrick was the, with the director of it. And super nice guy. Every, I actually got to meet the whole cast. Everybody was so nice. I ended up not getting on the show. They cut me completely out like a, like a millisecond of television time. But it was so cool to be able to improv with all of them. Yeah. And record it. And we had like, they mic'd me everything. It was a blast. Um, but right after that, I ended up really getting involved into acting classes. And I started living these lives of other people. And I started appreciating their lives and the perspectives that they offered into my own. I said, I, every time I take on a role, I want to, to live their life. I want to understand them and their perspective on life. And I want to learn from them. And so after I told, told what happened to me to my mom, because she, she finally quite, she, she never actually heard the whole story from my end. Or she wrote it off as being crazy as everybody else did. Um. She didn't know how in the world I was able to come up from that. And, it, and I told her, it's, like, it's just from being able to ask so many questions and learn from these people on these, in these scripts. And I feel an obligation to tell their story. 
as truthful as possible. So that way other people can learn from them. Once I said that, she was sold. Yeah, I'm sold right now. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. If I was your dad, I'd be proud. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you moved from Texas to Los Angeles. How long have you been out here now? What, since August? I was never good at since counting like five months. months. Five months. There you go. What has your experience been like in LA since then? Awesome. Good. Awesome. It's been crazy. And I'm now using that in a different way, but it's been hectic. Um, when I moved out here, I, I moved in with a friend of mine who it was so open arms. He, he his wife was battling cancer. Um, they had a two year old, and he now he's doing really well. He's booking quite a bit of parts, but at the time he wasn't, and so they they were open arms because I had nowhere to go. Uh, and so I stayed with them, tried to figure out some PA jobs. I was I was guaranteed, and I ended up falling through. And eventually along the way, um, ended up like sleeping out of my car a few times and ended up finding another job here and there, like uh, uh, working as a handyman, like a live-in handyman for a couple, couple, for a couple of people. Um, so I would say that my life itself is, is not for everybody. But because I've gone about the appreciating way, it's been amazing. As far as career-wise, what, what's open to me is I, I did meet Justin at Leslie Kahn, um, which was awesome. Loved it. And I also started with Margie Haber. And then around the time that I was doing Leslie Kahn, I was on a couple of, like, uh, social websites. Not necessarily dating, but, like, just social, like, hanging out. And someone had reached out to me who was a manager. And like, hey, I don't quite have your look. Are you an actor? And blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is really weird. Um, <laughs> Immediately, red, red flag, red flag. <laughs> Well, you know, and the, but then at the at that same that same week, I had a bunch of other people reach out to me. People who followed me on Instagram reached out to me. People who looked me up on IMDb or people who just talked, they all reached out to me, managers and agents combined. And so I got to interview all of them. I ended up signing the guy who reached out to me on social media. Um, we speak very similar lingo, and it just so happens that he was on the same website as me, and I think I'm relatively normal and cool to hang out with, so I can't see why somebody else wouldn't be also relatively cool to hang out with as well. And um, he was legitimate. He ended up getting me an agent uh, named Savage, which is a very, very great agency, and they're treating me great. I've already been reading for some big network stuff, even though we've been battling the, the holidays. And uh, they're gearing up pretty heavily for pilot season. So Look at you, hitting the ground running five months in. Yeah. That's it, awesome, dude. It, when I talk to people, they go like, uh, that never happens to anybody else. you know. And for me, going into this year... I've been hitting the grindstone pretty hard for the past year or two, especially since this, in 2015 I read for a number of pilots and I even read to, to be Spider-Man um, and, and, and things like all that, right? And I wasn't booking any of it. So I was like, oh, I need to work harder. I need to do this. I need to do that, blah, 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 blah. And I realized that a lot of the people I hung out with or I worked with or a lot of my friends, blah, 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 they're like in their 30s or 40s. And I'm like, well, I got time. If anything, I want to build relationships, which is something that I had to relearn going into this. I, like, I really want to build relationships and, and, and learn from other people. Again, get back into the habit of that. Because that's what really sparked my inspiration and my interest into acting. So I want to start doing that more. Start you know, kind of laying off of, got to go to workshops, got to go do training. Now, all those things are important. Don't get me wrong. But 
I feel like you have to introduce more perspectives into your life to be able to speak on the behalf of somebody else, meaning the character. And that's what I want to focus on is living my life and living other people's lives and, and introducing new ideas and new perspectives. That's awesome. Uh, we're about to wrap up uh, with the podcast, but we want to do our, uh, our final segment with you. All right, we briefed you before. It's time for the Hollywood Bitch Slap. Watcha! <laughs> Do uh, <laughs> you know, we we should make a sound effect. Uh, so uh, do do you have a you have a story for us, Cutter? Some kind of Hollywood bitch slap? Oh man, a really recent one. Um, so it was with me being out here in LA, I didn't, I, you know, my family all being in Texas. Um, I went there for Thanksgiving, but for, for Christmas, there was a movie supposed to be filming in my hometown, a feature film I already had domestic distribution locked down. I was like, sweet. And I happened to know the producer. He's a friend of mine. He's like, Hey, I have an interest in you doing this role. I said, all right, cool. Let me read for it. Um, and it's a non-union production. That's something I should, I, sh- I should say, cause this is kind of what it boils down to. It was non-union at the time. I was non-union. I was SAG eligible, but I was non-union. In Texas, you don't have to join the union. It's, it's all right to work. So I didn't have a reason to join when I came out here until it was time to. Um, so I read for it. They hated it. <laughs> and it turns out they hated everybody. So, these, so we're going into about a week before filming. They still don't have their lead role. And so I, I was like, hey, man, just, just re, like, resubmit me. Like, just push me a little bit show him some of my content, whatever. And so he did. The producer showed the director, and the director loved it. He's like, yeah, I'm going to offer him the role immediately. Like, we love him. So we go through the whole sizing thing and whatnot, and I gave him all that. But the problem is, I, I asked my buddy, the producer, he's like, hey, do you have, do you know how much it pays? You know, because I, I want to at least make sure it's worth my while, that I can actually you know, cover things, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, I have no idea. It turns out it was like 50 bucks a day. Oof. Oh, God. That's non-union. Yeah. It was like 50 bucks a day. And I was like, okay, well, can I have a script? Can I read the script? He's like, oh, we don't have a script ready. <laughs> That's not a good sign. Well, I mind you, this is a Wednesday, and we start filming on Monday. And they don't, they don't. And. Gotta love non <laughs> And so, and so I was like, all right, well, you know, I've read your sides. I love the sides. They're hilarious. Um. But I want to go ahead and inform you that I've already applied for my union status. I'm, I'm waiting to hear back right now. But give me 24 hours. Let's see if I can postpone it at least 30 days because it won't take that long to, to shoot this film. I said, so let's see if I can just postpone it. Give me 24 hours and I'll let you know. Right? So at the time, on the same day that they let me know they want to hire me, I told them just give me 24 hours to officially accept. I'm 99% sure, but just wait. And so... Finally, on that Thursday, I, I end up getting the go-ahead that, yes, I can postpone the 30 days. I said, great. This awesome. is the next day. This is the next day on a Thursday. So my buddy goes, the producer goes like, hey, um, and this is a really, re- I say buddy, but like he's a really, really close friend of mine. Uh, we don't talk now, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he goes like, hey, call me. I said, yeah, sure. You know, we need to talk. And he's like, hey, man, it's all good. Go. Um, I'm down to do the film. And the only reason why I was down to do the film is because it was in my hometown and you know, I wanted to film a movie because I wasn't going to be working on anything else, right? Sure. And he goes like, well, I have an issue with you, like, talking to the union. I said, just see if, like, I can postpone my union status. That's all it was. It's like, well, I feel like you didn't trust me. Like, you should just trust everything I say and everything I do, and you should just follow me. You know, I was like, no, it doesn't work that way. 
You know, like I have an agent, I have a manager, like I have to take care of them. And on top of that, you said yourself that you want actors to take care of their business first and then come to you with just a yes or no. Well, here's my yes. And the, and he was like, well, it sounds like you don't really want to be a part of this production. <laughs> oh, my God. And I go, stop. You want me to pay out of pocket to go film your movie in Dallas, which means I'm going to probably drive to get my, my tax refund on that because I get paid per mile on that. And then on top of that, um, you don't have a script, but I went ahead and gave you the 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 – like, okay, that's no big deal. I trust you. But I still, like, you told me you're going to have your script ready today on a Thursday. You told me you're going to have your script ready today, and yet you still don't have one because I was waiting to read it to at least make sure that this was everything we agreed upon because so far, you're also only paying me 50 bucks. So every single expectation, like reasonable expectation I've had of this production, you haven't met. So sorry if I'm a little apprehensive about making sure I don't get dinged by the union, which is not like I probably would have or whatever, but like just making sure that my ducks were all in a row so I can go see my family and do this movie for fun and have fun doing it. I just didn't want to get any you know, whiplash from it or, or any um, you know, back, you know, whatever, backlash from it. And so he got really pissed and I got really pissed and he's like, bye. I was like, okay. So we all we both hung up, and um, I I went back and I I texted him and apologized like, hey man, I'm sorry that my tone might have been different, but I'm letting you know like that that's I'm good to do the movie, you know, with everything being said, I'm good to do the movie, and I I didn't complain about anything prior to that moment. No text, no call. We go into Friday. We start filming on Monday. No text, no call from the director. I reach out to the director, email the director. No response. I text and called the producer. No response. We're now going into um, 11 p.m. Dallas time. I finally get a call. Hey, Cutter. We decided to go with somebody else. (laughs) You were too much of a diva. (laughs) So... Did I really miss out on a production? No, because it turns out they didn't even have crafty service for the production. (laughs) (laughs) Which is... (laughs) Like, it was an overnight shoot from 6 p.m. to 10 a.m., no crafty service, and they didn't cover the... It was actually filming in Fort Worth, not Dallas, so they didn't cover the actual expense of transportation from Dallas to Fort Worth. It was like 30 miles, 60 miles round trip. So I I, I probably would have broke even on it with the tax and, like, refund, but at the same time, I did not miss anything on that. This is what I call a blessing in disguise. <laughs> that's, that's what they call that. Ugh. At the same time, though, I didn't get to see my family. I, I was because once I had cast it, once I was cast in in the movie, um, I was waiting to hear back. By the time I looked at tickets, because this was like a two week, three week sort of casting thing. By the time I looked at tickets for airplanes, like seven hundred bucks round trip, I was like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So I didn't get to see my family, which was upsetting. But so far, I I don't lose any sleep over it. Yeah, it sounded um, like you wanted to punch that guy in the face. No, he's, 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 I'm not going to say he's a good guy, but I like him right. to an extent. So before we let you go, you mentioned that you read for Spider-Man. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. What was that experience like real quick? Before real quick, real quick, real quick. Okay, if I can do it, possibly. It was really weird. When I, when I got the submission, I was currently filming, um, I was a series regular on a show called Connect, and so I was filming that. And uh, I got the email notification that I had an audition, and it was it just said young man, fifteen to nineteen, um, any ethnicity. 
Like, that's all the character breakdown was. And I was like, okay. And it, when I got the documents, it said it was only going to be like a co-star. Like, you know, one to five lines in it, you know. And so after I signed all that, they then came back saying, like, you need to be open for, like, this allotted amount of days next year and, like, to do cast and crew pictures this year and, like, blah, 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 blah. And then you need to be open for, like, this amount of months in this year. And I was like, whoa, what is it? I thought it was a co-star. So I started doing research. And it come to find out it, it was for the role of, um, of Spider-Man because shortly thereafter they ended up casting. Sadly, I did not get it. But what was cool about the whole process was that they sent me two different sides for two different characters that has nothing to do with Spider-Man, so I'm not, like, revealing anything here. But it was, like, complete different polar opposites. Um, very long. But it, it, was, it was fun. And they actually gave you your time. Like, they gave you, like, three weeks to turn in a submission, like a video submission. So they, they weren't even trying to rush this at all. But the whole process w was so cool of how secretive they were yeah. about it yeah. and like the amount of documents I had to file and, and, and fill out and um, just the weight of it, of knowing that I could be the next Spider-Man, you know. <laughs> but that was like during a time where I was like, I'm not booking any pilots. I'm an awful actor. So it was, it was We've kinda, all been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, pro yeah. Well, Cutter, dude, thank you so much for coming by the podcast. Where can people find you social media-wise? online like twitter or facebook or website or instagram any of that stuff i doubt anybody really wants to follow me i'm not as funny as justin um but <laughs> if, i mean i am on instagram i am on facebook um if anybody's ever interested in reaching out they can just literally direct message me on facebook and i'll, I'll respond back to them uh, i do have a manager if it is a business thing always contact the mode entertainment or savage agency if it is which i don't know why anybody would hire me off this but if you do <laughs> Hey, man, it happens. It happens. Go for it. Fantastic. Cutter, I think that my gut is telling me that you are going to do very well out here. And if for whatever reason acting does not work out, you could easily do TED Talks or be a life coach or <laughs> be a Tony Robbins inspirational speaker, motivational speaker, whatever. Uh Amazing interview. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for coming by. Thank you for having me. Thanks. <laughs>